0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Good morning and welcome to worship. Let's join together in prayer as we begin. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit's guidance upon us as we open your Word, and that, Father, your truth will become very clear to us this morning in how we are to approach the days that we're living in, what our attitude should be, and what our actions should be. Uh, Father, again, we come to you with the frustrations, with the fears, uh, with um, the anxiety uh, in our spirit over uh, COVID uh, and the effect that it's having on our people Lord, as it continues to uh, claim more and more lives in our area as more and more people are becoming sick with coronavirus, uh, it is a uh, cause for alarm in the hearts and minds of a lot of people. But I would ask Lord God that you will help us to see that uh, you are in control of all things. you are the sovereign Lord, and that you have your people in the palms of your hands. You're going to work out your plan and your purpose according to your will. And it is up to us, Lord God, to surrender to your sovereign authority, to follow your will, and to experience the peace that comes by knowing that we are obedient to all that you have called us to do. We pray for those in our church family who have contracted coronavirus. We thank you for those, Lord, who have successfully recovered from coronavirus. But we pray for those, Lord God, who are still affected and families, Lord God, who are grieving because of those who have died. We ask, Lord God, that we will allow our heart to reach out to them. Even though some of us have not been affected by it at this point, we can still reach out to them and minister to them and help them to uh, come to you and to find in you strength to carry on and peace that will temper their sorrows. Lord, I pray your blessing upon the word as it is read and as it is preached. And I ask, Father, that again you'll give us open eyes to see, open ears to hear, and, a, and an open spirit to receive the truth of your word into our lives. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen and amen. As Nancy and I sat on our back patio one morning this past week, we talked about our children and our grandchildren and our extended family as we always do and how their lives are progressing, uh, the advancements that they are making, as well as some of the disappointments that they're experiencing and the issues that they're facing. We also thought of those in our church family who are struggling in these days with health issues, with financial issues, And with vocational issues. We know that uh, this pandemic has closed many businesses. And so uh, many people are out of work. And they can't pay their bills. And they are anxious over what the future holds. And how they're going to fare uh, during the course of this pandemic. And we know that a lot of people are fearful. Fearful afraid that they're going to contract the disease, afraid for family members and friends who have already contracted the disease, some who are being quarantined, others who are being hospitalized, and even some who have died. We discussed the pandemic itself and its impact on not only this church, but churches all up and down the valley and throughout the state and how pastors and church leaders are wrestling with the tension between what they feel they want to do with regard to their church and worship and ministry and what the governing authorities say that we should do. It creates a real tension in our hearts and in our minds and we want to do what is right Uh, by our government because Romans chapter 13 tells us to have respect for the authorities that are over us because God has placed government over us to regulate our civic lives. But we also want to do right by God and by his people to do what God has determined that we as a Christian church should do. And so... In our discussions with regard to the pandemic and its effect on our church family, we look at all of the options. We weigh all of the options. And Nancy and I, we come to a decision as to what we believe God would have us do. But we're also concerned about the political fiasco of our state and our nation we're concerned about the economic grave that we're digging for future generations with all of the bailout money that's being issued with nothing to back it up and how that's going to affect our children and our grandchildren and their children in trying to pay back the deficit that it creates we're concerned about the continuing racial divide. And it seems like the racial issue has been around for centuries, and it has been. But in this generation, I became acutely aware of that when I was a teenager. And it seems like the racial divide since the times of my teenage years has grown wider and wider, but now it's becoming more and more critical Now it's becoming more and more of a heartache to the people of our state and to the people of our nation. We're concerned about the anger and the resentment and the bitterness and the hatred and the violence that seems to be consuming our people. So Nancy and I, we sat and in the silence that followed our discussion, I know that we were both wondering if there's ever going to be an answer to all of this or if this is really the beginning of the end for us and for all of us. But I'm sure generations before us have thought and have felt the same things as they were going through the years of World War II and World War I, as the nation experienced the Great Depression, as people were going through the Dust Bowl period. And certainly, these thoughts and these feelings were very present in the hearts and the minds of the people as the Civil War erupted and dragged on for a number of years. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry But you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all of this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Sounds like today's news, doesn't it? It is. But it's also yesterday's news. In fact... These were the words of the prophet Habakkuk, and they were spoken some 2,600 years ago as he saw his country disintegrate before his very eyes. Habakkuk, who was a prophet of God, lived to see the days when his world came crashing down around him. He lived to see the southern kingdom of Judah destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Israelites carried off as prisoners to Babylon. 130 years earlier, the northern kingdom of Israel had been destroyed by the Assyrians and now Judah was on the chopping block. It again reminds me of the words of George Santayana who said, quote, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Judah forgot how and why Israel imploded and now she was destined for the same fate. Are we as a nation Doomed to the same fate? Not only are we forgetting the history of the rise and fall of nations throughout human history, but we're in the processes of rewriting our history so that the ugliness of past sins will be covered and forgotten. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. The prophet Habakkuk addressed a world that was on the doorstep of disaster. His nation was in chaos. Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was marching toward Jerusalem like General Sherman marched on Atlanta. And nothing was going to stop him. It was a scorched earth policy. He was going to come in to the city. He was going to come in to the country and completely destroy it. And he did. And in the midst of all of this, God was eerily silent. Faithful people like Habakkuk wondered, what was God doing? Allowing his people to fall into such disarray. Why wasn't God intervening? Where is God in all of this? He had given this land to his people. Was he preparing to take it away? He allowed the northern nation of Israel to be destroyed. Was it his plan for Judah to be destroyed as well? Where is God in the midst of all of this violence? Where is God in the midst of all of this terrorism? Where is God in the midst of all of this arguing and fighting? Where is God? What is God doing that he would seemingly be unconcerned about what's going on in our land? We should never believe We should never believe that a nation or any nation is bigger than God who allows that nation to exist. We should never believe that a nation or any nation is bigger than God who allows that nation to exist. And we should never believe that our plan as a people is greater than God's plan for his people. Now, you may ask, why do I draw our attention to Habakkuk this morning? Some of you probably didn't even know that the book of Habakkuk existed in the Bible. Seldom is it ever taught. Seldom is it ever preached. But Habakkuk has some very important things to say to us today for four reasons first of all his world in his day is like our world today he faced the same things that we're facing today he felt the same frustrations that we're feeling he had unanswered questions just as we have unanswered Questions. He wondered why God was not intervening to save the nation from ruin, just like we wonder the same thing. As Habakkuk stood in Jerusalem and pondered the state of his nation, he must have been dumbfounded. The nation was tearing itself apart. Evil flourished. Violence was escalating. Godliness, excuse me, godlessness, godlessness abounded. But God said nothing. God wasn't doing anything, at least not that he could see, not that the people of Judah could see. And so the question continued to go over and over and over in Habakkuk's mind. Where is God in the midst of all of this? And how long will he allow this mess to continue? Second, Habakkuk understood that his people were consumed by pride and arrogance and that God Was going to humble them, it was only a matter of time. He looked out upon the people. He looked at the palace. He looked at the places of judgment where the courts decided cases. He looked in the marketplace. He listened to the groups of people as they were talking to each other about the affairs of state. What's going on in the city? What's going on in the rural areas? And he understood that his people were consumed with pride and arrogance because they were the sons and the daughters of Abraham. They were the people of God. They were a privileged nation. They had a history with the true and living God. But rather than being humbled by that reality, their hearts were filled with arrogance and with pride. And Habakkuk knew that the day of reckoning would come when God would humble his people once again. It was only a matter of time. He also knew that in the midst of this proud and arrogant people, there were a few, a remnant, if you will, who were righteous and who lived by their faith in God. Look at verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. These are the words of God. In response to the questions that Habakkuk was asking God. Chapter 1 is an ongoing dialogue between Habakkuk and God. As Habakkuk was asking all of these questions and then God responded. And his response to Habakkuk here in verse 4 is that this. There are the proud and the arrogant in the land. But the righteous ones will live by faith Doesn't mean that they don't have questions. Doesn't mean that they're not touched by what's going on in the country. But they're not going to lose their head. They're not going to lose their bearings. They're going to remain faithful to the Lord God. Third, Habakkuk re- reminds us that while God may seem silent... And uninvolved in our world. He is not. It is quite the opposite. God always has a plan to deal with evil. And will administer his justice eventually. We may want it to happen now. We may be saying to ourselves or to others. The justice of God is long overdue in this country. But God always has a plan to deal with evil and he will administer his justice in his time according to his timetable fourth Habakkuk encourages us to wait on the Lord he encourages us to wait on the Lord now that's tough isn't it it's hard to be patient And those of you who know me very well know that I'm not a man who has an abundance of patience. I know I should, but I know that I don't. And it is hard for me, just like it is hard for many of us, to wait on the Lord. But that's what Habakkuk encourages his people to do, and he encourages us to do. To wait on the Lord, knowing that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Habakkuk is so much like many Christians today. He asked God the kinds of questions that many of us are asking God. Why do you allow evil and wickedness to sweep over the land? Why do we see and hear and experience trouble day after day after day? How long? Do we have to put up with the corruption and the godlessness and the hatred and the violence? Why do we pray to you, but it seems you're silent and aren't doing anything about the situation that we find ourselves in? Well, let me share with you three lessons. Three lessons this morning from the book of Habakkuk. That are important for us to remember today. Lesson one. The first lesson I want you to note is this. Although it may seem. That God doesn't hear us. And remains silent and unconcerned. He is completely aware. And in control. Of what's going on. In his creation. He is in complete control, and he is fully aware of what's going on in his creation. Look at chapter 1, Habakkuk chapter 1 in verse 5. Look at verse 5 in chapter 1. Habakkuk has asked God certain questions in verses 2 through 4, and God answers him in verse 5. He says, look among the nations, observe. Be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. God was telling Habakkuk that he is actively involved in what's going on in the nation. That he is fully aware of what's happening in Judah. And he said, I want you to look. Not only look at what's going on here within the borders of the country. But look beyond the borders and see what I am doing among the nations that surround you. Now I want you to understand this. What God was asking Habakkuk to do was very, very necessary. But what he wanted Habakkuk to see was not a good thing. It was not a good thing that God wanted Habakkuk to see what was going on in the nations that surrounded Judah. The work that God had been doing behind the scenes was not going to be what he expected. These words here in verse five observe, be astonished, wonder. These words are not words that would cause. Habakkuk to rejoice. They were words that would not cause Habakkuk to be uplifted and to feel good about what God is doing. In fact, God was telling Habakkuk what you are going to see among the nation is go- among the nations that surround Judah is going to horrify you. It's going to terrify you. It's going to cause your heart to be more discouraged than it is Right now, God told his prophet to look among the nations at what he was doing. What was God doing? He was preparing the nations for war. Who were they preparing to conquer? They were preparing to conquer Judah. Look among the nations and see what I'm doing among the nations what are you doing God I'm preparing the nations for war who are they going to march against God they're going to march against your people look at verses 6 through 11 same chapter Habakkuk 1 the Lord again responds to Habakkuk for behold I'm raising up the Chaldeans the Babylonians I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. They do as they please. They make up their own laws. They make up their own rules as they go along is what God is saying. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces move forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings, and rulers are laughing matters to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. This is what I'm doing among the nations, Habakkuk. I'm not silent. I'm not inactive. I am preparing for my plan for my people to be carried out. Albert Barnes says, It was an aggravation of their punishment that God who had once chose them would now choose these whom he had not chosen to chasten them. It was an aggravation of their punishment, of the punishment of Judah, that God, who had once chosen them as his people, would now choose those, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, whom God has not chosen to be his people, to be in the instrument of punishment. Now, Habakkuk and the Judeans should not have been altogether unexpected of this. The Hebrew people had a history with God that was on again, off again. Like the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, they were hot for God at one moment, And they were cold toward God the next moment. They were mediocre. They were tepid. And it nauseated God. It made him sick to his stomach. So that he had threatened the church at Laodicea that he would spew them out of his mouth. He would vomit them out of his mouth. And it's the same attitude, it's the same history that the children of Israel had with God for the centuries that they were in the land that God had promised them. They repeated the cycle of faith and faithlessness so many times it was dizzying to the prophet. God was forever knocking on the door of their hearts to gain entrance in and among his people. Again, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. They had a prime example of what was going to happen to them in their brothers and sisters in the Northern Territory the northern kingdom of Israel. As a whole, the Jewish people were the repository of the statutes and commandments and precepts and oracles and history of the Lord God to and among His people. They were truly a blessed people. But through the years, they had become the very things that they had despised In other nations, violent, unjust, wicked, contentious, quarrelsome, destructive. They had forgotten their history. They had forgotten the history of God among them. Didn't God say through his servant Moses prior to entering into the promised land? Back in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 15. But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today. That all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then... Moses detailed the punishment that God would bring upon his disobedient people. And he summed it all up in Deuteronomy 28, verses 49 and 50. He summed it all up by saying, The Lord will bring a nation. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar. From the end of the earth... As the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, who will have no respect for the old, nor show sure favor to the young. Moses. Hundreds of years before Israel crossed the Jordan River under the leadership of Joshua. Hundreds of years Ago, In their history, Moses warned them that they would become a disobedient and rebellious people and God would send a nation, a specific nation, to punish them as an instrument of God's judgment for their rebellion and disobedience. He sent Assyria to the northern nation of Israel. And he was preparing to send Babylon to the southern nation of Judah. And if you go back to that passage in Deuteronomy 28 and read through the details of the punishment that the Hebrew people would suffer under Assyria and under Babylon, the details of that punishment that they would suffer, be subject to would rival any horror flick that John Carpenter can produce today. Not a pretty sight. Not a joyful experience. And I guess the bottom line here is that the people of God should be repulsed by the evil and the wickedness that they allow to go on in their nation. But they don't seem to be very much. They should cry out to God to intervene and to save the nation from the consequences of their sin. But I dare say only a few do. But we must also be aware that God is already busy working His plan of redemption for that nation and for all nations. God is working on His plan to redeem His people in the nations where they reside. But it won't be pretty. It won't be what they expect. And that brings me to lesson 2. Lesson 2 is that God's people have and will continue to suffer at the hands of evil people. God's people have and will continue to suffer at the hands Of evil people. What did Jesus tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus tells us Blessed are those, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus doesn't say blessed are you if they revile you and persecute you. Jesus said blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you. Suffering... Saints have always been a part of the history of humanity because suffering saints live among people who are evil and wicked. And that's why they suffer. When God purges the land of sin and all of its effects, God's people will suffer as well. Not because that they are guilty of the sins that brought on the judgment, but because God has a plan for redemption of the people involved as his faithful remnant. God's plan for redemption. His people will be a part of that plan. He has a purpose for his people as he purges the land of sin. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But think back with me, if you will. When God sent the plagues to destroy Egypt under the ministry of Moses, did God's people remain unaffected? No, they didn't. The plagues didn't destroy them like it did the Egyptians, but they were affected by those plagues nonetheless. In the very initial experience of the plagues, Pharaoh saw to it that the Hebrew people would suffer. More bricks had to be made. Less straw would be given. Male children would die. They were affected as a result of the plagues that came upon Egypt. When God permitted the Assyrians to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel, were the faithful people of God unaffected by the slaughter and by the devastation? No. Many of them died. A remnant did survive, but they were all touched by the hardships and by the heartache brought on by the Assyrian army. And when God allowed the Babylonians to destroy Judea and Jerusalem, were the remnant of the faithful to God unaffected by this conquest? No. Many of them died. Most of them were carried off into Babylon and held captive for 70 years. What about the disciples of Jesus, the apostles? Were they unaffected by the Roman conquest of Jerusalem in AD 70? And have the people of God remain unaffected by the works of Satan among the nations since the days of the apostles? Even today, there are countless thousands of Christians imprisoned, tortured, and killed all over the world and for no other reason than they are Christians. But there is a reason why God allows His faithful remnant to suffer along with the nations that they live in. But before we get to that lesson, let me just note something for us this morning. And I believe that this is a personal application. You may not buy into it, and, you know, that's your privilege. But I believe that for anyone to believe that God will allow all other nations to rise up only to fall because of their wicked and sinful ways yet will allow this nation to remain untouched by his justice and his judgment is a foolish pipe dream. To believe that God will allow other nations to rise up and to fall because of their wicked and sinful ways, yet will allow this nation, the nation that you and I are living in, the nation that we are proud of, the nation that we call home, the nation that affords us many freedoms that other peoples in the world do not have, the nation that we uh, live in that affords us wealth and material goods beyond imagination by the vast majority of the peoples of the earth. This very nation if he will allow this nation to remain untouched by his justice and judgment, that, my friend, is a foolish pipe dream. If God, to quote my mother, if God does not bring his justice and his judgment to this nation for its sins and its wickedness and its evil, then he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I believe that with all of my heart. In fact, I believe that we're seeing the beginnings of that judgment this very day. So what should we do? That brings me to lesson three. Stay faithful to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. Stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay firmly fixed on the truth of God's word. Seek the fellowship and the leadership of the Holy Spirit every day and every moment of the day. Look at verse 12, Habakkuk 1 and verse 12, Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 12. After God answers Habakkuk's question, Habakkuk responds, Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. Thou, O Lord, hast appointed them to judge, and thou, O Rock, hast established them to correct. God gave, or God painted, a very bleak, a very dark, a very troublesome picture for Habakkuk as to what he is doing in the nation of Babylon, preparing them to come and to be the instrument of judgment on Judah. And Habakkuk responds by saying, Lord, you have always been our God. You've always been faithful to us. You will not permit your faithful ones to die You are our rock in the midst of judgment. God is going to follow his plan of correcting corruption. God is going to follow his plan of righting the wrongs. God is going to follow his plan of purging the land of the plague of sin. We can't change that. That's all a part of sovereign God's Plan, but we can and we must continue to live our lives in faithfulness to the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 4, Habakkuk says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right with him, but the righteous will live by faith. Those are the words of God to Habakkuk. The proud are going to continue on in their pride. And he's going to reap the trouble. He's going to reap the whirlwind for his arrogance and pride. But the righteous will continue to live by faith. To the church at Sardis. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 2. The Lord said to the church, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of God. This was not only a rebuke, but it was also a source of comfort. The church in Sardis, God is saying, Jesus Christ is saying, you've not finished the work that I've called you to do. Now, get up, wake up. Get up and get busy and do the work that I have called you to do. In other words, the nations around you are going to come against you. They're going to oppose you. They're going to persecute you. But I want you to keep doing the work that I've called you to do in the midst of the trouble. By the mere fact, listen, by the mere fact that the judgment comes to a nation because of its guilt of sin and evil and wickedness proves that our work is not over. It proves that our work has not been completed. The angel said to John the apostle in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 11, Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy, still be filthy. But let the one who is righteous, still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy, still keep himself holy. In other words, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to continue to dream up Plans of evil, plans of of greed, plans of power mongering, plans of war. They're going to continue to let the machinery of wickedness and evil and sin continue on. But you do what I have called you to do. You be what I have called you to be. You be holy and you stay righteous. I think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon. These were teenage boys. And they suffered the destruction of their homeland, Judah. They were living in Judah when Babylon came knocking on their borders and when babylon came in and destroyed the nation and took thousands of the jewish people captive to a foreign land daniel shadrach meshach and abednego were a part of those held prison held prisoners in babylon But they were not like most of the Hebrew people that found themselves in Babylon. Most of the people, the Hebrew people in Babylon, sang this song. By the rivers of Babylon we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In other words, the vast majority of the Hebrew people in Babylon just sat down and cried and mourned and wept and complained about all of the things that had befallen them. And I'm sure there were those who spoke with each other. How could God let this happen to us? Why didn't God do something about this? Why did God allow King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to kill our people and to take the rest of us prisoners? Why did he allow our nation to be destroyed and our city to be destroyed and our beautiful temple to be destroyed? And they lamented and they wept and they cried. But not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not Daniel. That was not their attitude. They didn't sing that song in Babylon. No. They were righteous young men. And they practiced their righteousness in a foreign land. Among godless people and under the authority of a pagan king. They were holy young men, and they kept themselves holy before the Lord despite their situation. And so, dear friends, this morning, let's remember these three things. Although it may seem God doesn't hear us, And although it seems God remains silent and unconcerned over the things that are going on in our world, over the things that are going on in our nation, over the things that are going on in our state, He is completely aware and in control of His creation. He is the sovereign Lord, not the one sitting in Sacramento, not the one sitting in D.C., not the ones who meet together in their chambers and plan out their plans. God is the sovereign Lord over creation, and he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Second, God's people have and will continue to suffer at the hands of evil people. That has been our track record from day one. Jesus said... Blessed are you when they revile you and persecuted you because they persecuted the prophets that were before you. We're in good company. We may not like it, but we can be encouraged by it. And third, stay faithful. Stay faithful to the God of our salvation. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Stay firmly fixed on the truth of God's word. Stay in the fellowship and of the leadership of the Holy Spirit every day and every moment of the day. Now, one final word. In chapter 3 of Habakkuk, after all of the conversation had ended, after Habakkuk asked all of his questions and God had answered all of his questions, Habakkuk ends his letter with these words. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, Though the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. In other words Habakkuk says God you're going to do what you're going to do and you're going to bring this land to ruin that's your plan. But even though all of these things happen I'm going to praise you I'm going to exult in you I'm going to lift up my heart and my hands and my voice to you I'm going to rejoice in the fact that you have saved me and that your hand is upon me. I pray that we as a church have that same mind and same spirit in the days that we are living in now. Pray with me, Heavenly Father. We find ourselves in much the same situation as your servant Habakkuk. We're alarmed at the chaos that's gripping the country. We're concerned over the lawlessness that is abounding. We're angry over the senseless violence, sinfulness, wickedness, contention, and destruction that our people seem to be obsessed with. Like Habakkuk, we wonder why you're allowing all of this to continue. Why it seems you're backing away from this nation rather than intervening. Why you seem eerily silent. I ask, Father, that you will open our eyes and let us see that you are at work. That your ultimate plan for the times that we're living in is being worked out and that soon this nation will see the salvation of the Lord. Even if it is a salvation that will ultimately be rejected, that salvation is going to come. Keep us faithful to you. Keep us faithful to your word and to your will. Keep us ministering to those who are prepared to hear and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us use these days to be salt and light to those all around us, that they may see our good works and glorify you in heaven. I ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. May God grant you peace and joy throughout the remainder of the day and throughout this new week. God bless you. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior... We invite you to call on him now, and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.